For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The first half of Ephesians chapter 2 tells of the good news of how Jesus broke down the wall that separated us from God. Here now in the second half of the chapter, we are told how the walls that divide us from one another have also been dealt with. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Walls That Divide. Alrighty, we're getting ready to start here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been parked in Ephesians chapter 2. It took two sermons to cover verses 1 through 10, the first half of the chapter. Now we're looking at the last half of the chapter, starting at verse 11, making our way down to verse 22. That'll be chapter 2. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we, we just look to you. First of all, God, we're so thankful for your word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Where would we be? without the word of God, to correct us and to comfort us and to show us who you are and what you expect of us. Lord, we're so grateful that you didn't leave us as orphans, but we have the word of God. And more importantly, we have you living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you help us to hear what you're saying through your word? In Christ's name, amen. Well, I guess the record for the greatest street party that's ever happened in the whole world happened in November 1989. It's when the Berlin Wall came tumbling down. Now, the Berlin Wall went up suddenly one morning, 1961, and it divided the capital city of Germany into two parts. Uh, the democratic West from the communist-controlled East. Suddenly, out of nowhere, just that wall started mostly with barbed wire, but then it ended up to be a 12-foot-high fence with much security, and uh, it lasted about 30 years, separating and alienating friends and family. I mean, Germans, I mean, you might have been visiting for the weekend. Or, or therefore, because of your employment, and half of your family was on one side of the city and half on the other, and then you woke up and it was against the law, and you were under threat of losing your life if you thought you were going to leave East Berlin. And so it was a devastating thing. It was um, complete with uh, 96 miles, really, of zigzag wall. Um, Razor wire, uh, they had portions called the death strip. You know, you wouldn't want to go there. And, and all kinds of armed guards, 302 uh, watchtowers. It was pretty uh, serious business. A trip wire machine gun, you know, um, they were uh, very intent on keeping East Germans from going west. I have a picture of what, just one part of it. It just was up for... <laughs> nearly three decades, right? But all that changed in 1989. Cold War was thawing and international pressure heating up and that great uh, Christian president, uh, Reagan, in that famous speech when he was stood near the wall and he, and he commanded uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down down. And that was sort of the momentum that really uh, brought the announcement to the East Germans, things were going to become a little bit easier getting across. Well, when they heard that, that weekend, they all charged the checkpoints. And the guards just said, this is ridiculous. And millions of people just flooded those gates and the wall came tumbling down. I have a picture of the joy of that. They're just I don't know how many of you were alive and remember all of this at the time. Uh, but I, I got a couple quotes from people, families who had been split, now coming together, parents reunited with long-lost children. Finally, like caged animals uh, released from that terrible tyranny behind that wall. The quote, we were all running and crying, 
with tears of joy and unbelief as we streamed across the border as the walls came tumbling down. I can't imagine that kind of excitement or uh, joy or hope after 30 years of that nonsense. The long years of alienation now over. Now, thank you for that slide. Ephesians chapter 2 is exactly that kind of excitement, joy, and hope about another kind of wall that had been torn down, a wall of alienation, a more serious and painful alienation than the Berlin Wall. Uh, This wall didn't go 12 feet high. This wall reached all the way into the heavens and separated sinful man from a holy God. And so... Uh, on two sides of that wall, there was the wall that separated us from God and the walls also that separated and alienated us from one another. That's chapter two of Ephesians, those two ideas. The wall that separated us from God and the wall, the ramifications of being out of sorts with him is, is that we are out of sorts with each other and there are walls that divide the human race and we've experienced that, all of us. And so... The first 10 verses, the first half of the chapter, Paul has the happy task of telling us about the wall that separated us from God, how that came down, and just wonderful news. We were dead in our sins on that side of the wall. We were children of wrath, uh, but God, rich in mercy, made us alive and through the death of Christ and faith in him, by grace we have been saved, a gift of God. God had torn down that wall, and just a beautiful thing to be able as human beings, sinful as we are, having our sins paid for so that we could cross over from death into life. Now, Paul turns to the other walls, the walls that were put up between us because of sin. Those walls, too, through Christ, When we come to him and enter his kingdom, those walls go tumbling down as well. I mean, it started in Genesis 3, right, with the fall. It started in the marriage. The marriage had a wall built up right there in Genesis 3, which led by the 10th chapter of Genesis. People were splintering off into little groups of families, and then uh, there became cultures and societies and all kinds of things, races and gender and social status, and then came envy and hate and malice and jealousy and anger and threats till today. Walls and wars and a real miserable situation. Paul's saying, but in Christ, not only was he going to take down the wall that divided us from him and life, but he was going to bring the walls that separate mankind from the human community, which you only find on the other side of faith and Jesus Christ. But that's the happy assignment of half of the chapter that we're going to take a look at, starting at verse 11. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, now he's going to show Jesus and his work on the cross. He breaks down the walls that divide us so that through Christ, listen, through Christ, he's going to create for himself a single new humanity. Hmm. Here we go. The chapter in its entirety first, then we'll uh, divide it up to bite-sized portions, easier to understand. But here's the text in its entirety. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, where it means non-Jewish, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by hands of men, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
by abolishing in his flesh, his body, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two groups, one, one group out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both groups to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostile wall between them. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we, have both, we, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners, or aliens, fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief foundation stone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that is the entirety of chapter two that we've taken a look at now. And it divides... Quite nicely, every pastor's dream, really. Three easy, logical, unfolding points. There it is, really. What we once were, what Christ has done, and what we will become, what we have become. So here's the problem. Here's how Jesus fixed it. And here now, the wonderful consequences of that work. And so we're going to start with the problem, all right? So point number one. At one time, the problem alienated from God, which led to alienation with each other. So let's talk about it. And of course, the problem uh, with walls is going to be evidenced by name calling, right? So we start with the name calling, and that's what's going on here. And there was uh, plenty of that that divided the human race. He is going to focus on Israel and the rest of the world as an example, but there are walls everywhere. And what relates to the wall that comes down between Israel and non-Jews relates to all the other walls that have been created. Now, there are a lot of walls, a lot of walls. 196 countries, sovereign nations, depending on who you're asking and on what day of the week you're wondering because those numbers change. There are countries that think they're countries and other countries say, no, you're not. You know, and they say, yes, we are. And then there's a wall that goes up and then, the, yeah. So generally speaking, you got 195 walls of countries, right? Well, within that, if you're dividing... It's a good word. If you're dividing us up by language, ethnicity, religion, caste, culture, then you've got 16,300 more walls to deal with. You see, did you know that there are over 6,000 languages and dialects alone? That's a lot of division. That creates a lot of problems. So everybody in this room has been up against a wall or on one side of a wall that you wanted to be on the other side. I mean, just even me, I was just thinking about being in Tokyo when we were missionaries there. I went to uh, rent a hotel room, and the guy says, no, absolutely not, dame. And I'm like, what's the problem? And in Japanese, he says that I, he called me an, an Iranian. I had a full beard. And I looked like the guys who hang out in the park, and he didn't want to give me a room. And I said to him, Watashi wa Iranjin chanai desu yo. Which means, I'd like to order sushi right now. <laughs> that means I am not an Iranian, right? I, he said, oh, doesn't matter. You're not getting a room here. I'm like, I walked out. You know, you know what? We've all been on one side of a wall that didn't make any sense. Some walls are good. They're supposed to protect you from bad things. But the walls we're talking about today are stupid, foolish, hateful, hurtful walls that through Christ's death, has, they've been leveled down to the ground. Now, God's going to make it easy. He's going to say there are two groups of people theologically. Those who know me and those who don't. 
Uh, you guys got your 61,000 walls. You know, uh, in my estimation, those who have a relationship with me are on one side of the wall, and those who do not, called the Gentiles, are on the other side. And of course, these are in the early days. So let's talk about who's on which side of the wall and how that started. Well, those who had a relationship with God on that side started with a man named Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus was born. He was an idol worshiper. God just set his love on. Just said, hey, you, I've got a place for you to go. Uh, I'll tell you when you get there, you'll know. You know when you get there, I'm going to give you all the land and I'm going to make you into a great nation. So he, he leads him there and then comes his son Isaac and then his son Jacob. He changes Jacob's name to Israel, which means governed of God. And all of Israel's children are called Israelites. And that's where you get the nation. They descend from Abraham, Isaac, and mostly Jacob, who they get their name from. Sometimes you see in the scriptures, the God of Jacob. It means the God of Israel. And those who call themselves Israelites are children of that one man, Jacob. They, they can trace their, their ancestry through him. Now, uh, he made a covenant with them. And he said, to your biological offspring, um, I will give this land. And he revealed his word and his plan and all of that. So they're on one side of the wall. Uh, uh, now, they were supposed to be the light to the rest of the world, the word Gentiles. So they were supposed to not have such a wall. They were supposed to, Isaiah 49 and verse 10 says, is it too small of a thing, God using some funny speech, is it too small of a thing to be my servant and do what I ask you to do, you Jews, and be a light to the goy. The word goy just means nations. It's translated, it's translated Gentiles. The first time you ever see the word Gentile in the Bible, it's in Genesis 10 when everybody's splintering off from the tower and becoming little nations. That's all the word means. In the Greek, it's ethnos, Gentile. It just means ethnicity. It just means not a Jew. That's all it means. It just means regular, ordinary, non-Jewish person. But there was a wall between those God covenanted with. Now, he had his eye on the world, for God so loved the world that he was going to use those people to get to the world because he always had the world in mind. And he told them that in the beginning, Genesis 12. Through you, Abraham, it's not favoritism. It's function. I will get to the world. It's going to take me, what, from Abraham's time, 2,000 years to produce the Savior through them. That is why salvation comes through the Jews and to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Not favoritism. Function. It's just about function. This is how he gathered together the people. He was going to come through a human, one of their human wombs and then save the whole world. That was the plan. So the Gentiles were on the other side of the wall. That just means the nations who did not have a covenant with them. Now, the marking sign between the two groups was something called circumcision. So to the name calling. All right, what's the significance of circumcision? Well, it's about that son, Isaac, and the promise to become a nation. Abraham's 100 years old. His wife is 90. When she was in her childbearing ages, she was barren. She couldn't have kids. So she couldn't have children her whole life. And then God waits until she's even 90. And him, he's dead too. He's 100, <laughs> all right? So he's incapable. And the Bible says that it wasn't just Sarah who was incapable. It was Abraham as well. So at 100, he falls down on his face, Genesis 17. He falls down on his face when God says, hey, you're going to be the father of a nation. And he says, that's a funny one. <laughs> and the Lord says, oh, I'm changing your name from Abram, father, exalted father, to Abraham, exalted father of the multitude. <laughs> You know, imagine poor Abraham had to walk around. What's your name? Exalted father. Oh, where's your tribe? 
Well, actually, we don't have any kids. <laughs> and God says, I'm going to change that. And he laughed. And of course, and now here's circumcision. The baby comes supernaturally. The spiritual significance is if you want to be on the side of the wall that has life and relationship with me, it won't be through natural birth. It'll be through supernatural birth. If I don't intervene, and, and then you're born from above or born again, not according to a husband's will or because your mama got together with your papa and had a honeymoon and then she conceived. Oh, oh no, that will end in double death. You will die once, you will die twice, and you will be eternally separated forever. But if you come to me, and you are by faith are born again, and you become the right to become a child of God, you will die physically once, but you will have eternal life. And so he puts the mark accordingly so that everybody remembers, oh, if you want a relationship with God, something supernatural in the form of new life New birth, not human reproduction. And now it will be about the heart. So the Jews got cocky about it. And then that was the mark that they were proud of, that they were covenanted with God, and that that's all that mattered. And everybody else who sort of deserved it, they were living like dogs and animals, you know, with no laws and no conscience and sorcery and magic and uh, throwing their kids into fires and all kinds of terrible things. And there was a hostile relationship. So the Jews were saying they were the uncovenanted, right? But Paul, here's the paraphrase of that. He says, you know, he's taking them back to their BC days. He wants to stir up a little gratitude for what God's done in their hearts. But he starts with this and he says, you who were born Gentiles, right, with no Hebrew heritage, you know very well that the Jews look down on you as second-class citizens, insulting you, calling you such names as the uncircumcised. Well, by the way, he says, they continue to practice that, but it's meaningless now that Jesus has come. That's the point of done by a rabbi. You know, it doesn't matter what a rabbi does to your physical body. You're not going to heaven because of that. You have to have God, not the rabbi, do something inside your heart and your spirit, and that life is reproduced in you. That's the life that counts, not the natural life. Thus, the mark. And so, name-calling aside, he's going to list five terrible things about being an ethnos, a regular person who's not connected to Israel or the truth. Right, and so he says there are five terrible things, and he he's doing he he has a purpose, and the Bible always does this. There are things you are called to forget, always, hurt that other people have caused you. You are commanded to do away with the offenses. Love keeps no records of wrongs. That's an implication. That's an inference for us to say. I forget that. I overlook that offense. You're commanded to forget stuff. And you're also commanded to remember. He says, never, ever forget who you were before the good shepherd of your soul found you and hoisted you on his good, strong shoulders and brought you into life. You were wandering far from the fold of God. And that engenders in us a gratitude for God's grace. We've talked about this before. But so he's going to take them back. And he wants to just kind of get them. There's nothing to refresh your zeal like for living like dodging and grazing a bullet. A bullet that just like scraped your forehead. Wow, you go dancing out of that. I mean, you, you know, you dab it up and you put your wife's makeup on it. And <laughs> It happens. <laughs> and what you're happy about life, again, let me tell you about just grazing the bullet, and then we'll talk about the five things right here really quick. This just happened to me two days ago. 
I was on an errand in San Francisco. This principle just happened. I was right by UCSF Medical Center, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go cheer myself up. And here's what I did. I spent two years in that place battling a lethal blood cancer. Most of you know the story. Uh, lymphoma. Terrible. Awful. The worst, darkest time of my life. I can't even put words into it, but I went into the lobby, into that elevator, up to the 11th floor. It's called Long. The hospital's called Long. 11 Long is where they do bone marrow transplants. And there I opened the door. The smell of the hallway. You know, I used to do 12 laps was a mile. I spent two months there. I isolated the wall from my kids who were 8, 10, and 12 at the time. I couldn't see them. I, I had every side effect. Imagine I had all kinds of things. Well, what I did, I walked the halls again. And I'm just like, oh, terrible. And all the fear and anxiety. And I'm dying of cancer. And I have a 30% chance of living. The nightmare was on me. It was like, uh, uh. And I walked into my old room, just by faith, just walking in. You know how I do. You just got to, hey, I'm a doctor. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so I pull the curtain, and there in my old bed is a 36-year-old guy. He has an 8- and a 10-year-old, just like I did. And it was my same age. And I just said, whoa, whoa, you're in my bed, bro. And he goes, what? <laughs> and I go, well, 14 years ago. He goes, well, tell me about it. He goes, did it come back? And I go, 14 years? No, I went out. I started a little church. Is everything's going great now. And he goes, oh, church. I was like, okay, we'll talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to share with him a little bit, ask me all these questions. But, you know, listen, his ashen death face with no eyebrows because of the chemotherapy, no hair, his swollenness. He talked about his kids, a tear. Ugh. I was there. I was in that bed. <laughs> and for some reason, God said, I'm not done with you. You're getting out of here. And when he said, so no problems, I said, dude, I don't. It's been a while since I've even thought about this. You know, I couldn't wait to get out of there. So I'm walking, walking, and I walk down, and the air hits me outside on Parnassus. And I was like, oh, I don't have problems. I embrace, I have a couple little things that bug me right now. They don't bug me. I love them. I'm happy to have them. I want to frame them and put them on a shelf and say, God, thank you for those two little things that I walked in thinking, oh, no, I hate this problem, and I have this. I walked out, I'm going to love my wife better. I'm going to be a good Father, I'm going to be a better pastor. Oh, Lord, and I'll just see it in the car. And I'm still sort of on that high a little bit. It's wearing off a little bit. But <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's saying, can I walk you guys back to the bone marrow transplant unit where you all were languishing in death? Worse. Number one, he says, you were separated from Christ. Here, I mean, so were the many Jews. But what he's saying is, as an, as an ethnos, as most of the people in here were ethnos, there's a handful of Jews, but uh, most of the people here were na nations, right? And so he says, your nation didn't have a hope of a savior. You were without a messiah. You had no hope of a savior. Messiah means savior, Hebrew. Christ means Messiah in the Greek, right? So he says, number one, you were without a savior, no hope for your darkness. Number two, you're excluded from the citizenship. God's people, you know, you're on the other side. You know, really through no fault of your own. I mean, if you were born not in uh, relationship with Israel. He says, but just look at that. There were a lot of advantages of being born as a Jew, uh, but you still had to come by faith. You still had to have faith, you see. So just because they were near didn't mean that they didn't need evangelism or didn't need to give their hearts over to the Lord. 
And, and then he goes on to just say, you know, without God and without hope in this world. Now, as I said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He's always loved the nations. I mean, that's why he gave Christ. But he was gathering up the Jews so that he could save the world. So, but they didn't know. So they were without God because they were without the knowledge, right? The word there is atheos, where you get the word atheist. They were atheists. They were without God. What is more sad? Why even get out of bed? Paul the Apostle took a, a, a quote from the Egyptians when he said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there is no God, let us eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. In other words, if there's no God, this is all a bunch of malarkey, live it up. What are you doing here? It's Sunday morning. Don't you have better things to be doing? Tomorrow you're dead, and then that kaput, that's it, right? But that's not the way God has it for us. God has it for us that there is life, and we know that. But the, the heathen did not, and so the Egyptians were like, Let's party, because tomorrow we turn into mummies, apparently. <laughs> so that kind of hit it on the head. Remember twice of what God has saved you from. Come on, listen. You really could have wandered off the cliff, I promise you. There but the grace of God go you and me. When narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be to find it, how did you find it? You're few, you are the few and the narrow path. And just boop, 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 just some are going to make it. Praise him. Love him. Embrace what's going on in your life. You, my dear friend, have graced a very serious bullet. And that's what he wanted you to see now. Now, he says, now consider what Jesus has done. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away. You've been brought near through the blood of Christ. He's our peace. He's destroyed the two groups. He's taken down that wall. Uh, he's reconciled both groups to God through the cross by which he's put to death that dividing hostility between people. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to who, who were near for, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father through the same Spirit. And so, quickly, Paul changes the subject. You know, you only want to be on 11 long so long. You know, you get the point. You're like, oh, ooh, yikes. Get a little nauseous, and then you get out of there to live your good life, right? And so that's what he's in. He's just kind of took them back up, and now they're out and free. And look at you. You've got... Uh, the love of God in your life. So he says, you have been um, brought near. You who were far are the ethnos, are the Gentiles who lived out far away from Israel, didn't know anything about God's plan. Israel was near because God had come near to them, revealed everything to them. And the nations were far out there, beyond some far galaxy out there with Star Wars, you know. Uh, that's how far it was. And But practically speaking, don't you think Terry, think about this. If you're drowning and someone throws you a bar or a rope and you miss the rope by, you know, a quarter mile or a quarter inch, you're going to be dead, right? You drown, right? So what is it? Practically speaking, you get the advantage if you were close. The disadvantage seems if you were far away. But if you miss it, you miss it. You know, and the Jews did have the advantage. They were close. You know, that Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament 855 times. That means the gospel of the New Testament is very dependent on what the Jews have in their books, the Bible. They call it the Bible. All they're missing is the part that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And everything else will make sense 
to them. So there's an advantage. But those who were far off didn't even know the name of God. It was just used to, for cussing, right? There are Gentiles who grow up all over the place. They don't know how the world was created. They don't know anything about the flood. They don't know about uh, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. They don't know about David and Goliath. They don't know about the godly line that leads to Christ and the promise of a, of a savior. They don't know any of that. Elijah, Isaiah, all the prophecies. It's great advantage, but they're far off like that. And he says, those are the people that he brought in. He brought the far near. And that's a beautiful thing. He kept his promise. Jesus said, well, the spirit of Jesus, Isaiah 57 was fulfilled, he said, one day we will, speak, we will speak peace, peace to those far and near, you see. So in other words here, all people, whether near, raised in a Christian home, you're near. That's the worst part. It's, I think I'd rather miss it by a quarter mile than a quarter inch. People are going to die with a Bible near the bed and a priest, church, there's church and the right words are in the room when they're dying with the Bible and the hymnal will be playing. But their hearts, they don't make the connection and they miss it right there. And then you've got somebody in Botswana somewhere who's never heard the name Jesus, right? Or, or, and, and, and God has given them all kinds of opportunities and they miss it. Just terrible. So he brings us near and, and, and far. But he's always wanted to get to the far ones. He told the folks in Jerusalem, listen, I got sheep from another pen. I got the quote right here. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. There he is. He's telling it right before he goes to the cross. He says, not just about Jews and Israel. The whole plan has been to get me high and lifted up, that the gospel go out to all the world, and then I will gather my sheep from the ethnos, and they will come in, and we, saved Jews and saved ethnos, will be part of one body called the church. Ethically, I'm a Jew, but spiritually, I'm like everybody else because they're in Christ there's no Jew and no Gentile. He goes down to break it down further. He says, there's no slave. There's no free. There's no social status. There's no male or female. There's no inequality. When you come through the cross and you've been blood washed, you come out a new creation with none of those dumb walls that separate us. Of course, we retain our maleness and our femaleness, but he's saying as far as the inequalities, the walls that divide us and make life hard, those go away because the only thing that matters is the lordship of Jesus Christ to people who come to him through the cross. That's just an amazing thing. And so what he said is, hey, first of all, Jesus' death takes away, and you can see in your, if you go back to the original, you can see that... He says, I lost my train of thought. There it goes. Here it comes. <laughs> oh, he destroyed in his flesh the thing that made, that made them um, fighting was the ceremonies about clean and not clean and what you can eat and what you can't. Serious wall between having a friend who loves to eat BLTs, right? You know, <laughs> and do all kinds of things. Well, the Jew was just trying to live on this side of the wall. No pork and no, hey, did you touch that with your hands after you went to your grandmother's funeral and all of that? He said, in Christ, he died for all of that. Those laws and, and ceremonies and commandments have been fulfilled. So by his death, the Jews don't need to regard those things anymore. And that's why there's no more problem with Jew. It took the church about two chapters. They were all Jews. Christians were all Jews first. For 20, 30 years, there were no ethnos. They were all Jews, Jewish Christians. And it took them two chapters in Acts to figure out, well, actually, God wants the whole world, the ethnos, to be a part of 
them as well. And so when Paul sat down, he ordered pork chops with his <laughs> Ephesian friend. And the two of them were in Christ. God didn't look and see Jewish Paul, Hebrew, and then ethnos, Ephesian, Trophimus, right? No, no, no. And Trophimus did come from Ephesus, by the way. <laughs> he doesn't see that. Two souls washed in the blood of Jesus, come out the other side, walls down. Inequalities gone. Raised eyebrows, stop it. That's what it is. Now, I happen to know in this congregation at any one Sunday, since I know you, I know your stories, here, here's what goes on on a typical Sunday. Because of the cross and people coming through that, here's what we got. On any given Sunday in these rows, there's a doctor sitting next to a homeless man who's from the mission. Sitting next to a man in rehab is a vice president of a company. Next to her, a woman whose family fled for their lives from a communist-controlled country to the US. Next to her is a teenage boy Next to the teenage boy is someone in their 90s. Next to him is a straight-A church kid who's next to someone who grew up in juvenile hall, robbing homes and breaking into cars, and was arrested 62 times. And he is worshiping next to a police officer. Okay. I could go on. I could go on for days. Listen, you know what? You know what kind of walls are between them? Love, unity, peace. I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world when they can't even speak the same language. You know. You know you walk into the church and they're all praising God in their language, Japanese, let's call it, and you're there and they come around you and you don't get what they're saying, but you feel it, you're connected. There's no more wall. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and even them singing the hymn in Japanese. I've got my hands up and I'm just doing watermelon, 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 watermelon. <laughs> you know, that's what they tell you to do, to fake people out and think you're singing, right? If you just go watermelon, forget it. <laughs> there are no more walls. Only thing that matters on the other side of the cross, on this side of the cross, there are plenty of walls. And you know, the sad part is, even when you come through the cross, you know, what did Jesus say? I'm the door. Anybody who comes through me shall be saved. Right? So we've walked through him into a place where the only thing that matters is him and what he's done. But still, we play our little wall games. Like class matters, your societal, where your education or who you are or who, who you're not. I mean, both ends of the spectrum Put up the walls, right? Don't do that. It cost him his life to tear those walls down. And you keep living like a caged animal or caging some other animal. Uncage them and uncage yourself. Just, amen? Yeah. Let's just move on. <laughs> Last little. Thing. Now, consequently, so therefore, this is who you were. This is how Jesus fixed it. Consequently, the consequences of Jesus fixing it. You're no longer foreigners, aliens. Come on. Fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's family. Built on this foundation, beautiful foundation. Christ is the foundation. This building's growing up. You're a part of that and you're being built together to a place where God will hang out, if I, I can paraphrase it that way. Okay, let's finish up with some closing reflections here. So there's been a change in your status. You who were ethnos far away, 
He lassoed you from out beyond the Milky Way, and he brought you in through the preaching and the proclamation of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ just stands for this. The death of someone on your behalf. Now, just talk to an unbeliever three days ago who said just exactly this. I do not understand how the blood of someone could put me right with God forever. And I said immediately back, unless that someone is God. And it brought the conversation to a beautiful silence. <laughs> I love when that happens. It's like, and then the Lord's like, don't say another word. <laughs> and I'm like, but it was enough. God had just shut him down. And I saw the like, you know, you know, the spinning wheel while it's loading. It was loading, but nothing came out. God, God's blood did it for us. Now there's been a change in your status. Let's talk about uh, that. You know, the word foreigner he uses there to describe the far off part of our lives, our BC days, and aliens, it has a, a very strong uh, connection to what we would call a refugee. Now, let me see this. The idea and the, I'm going to use that as an illustration. However, it's complicated now because of the illegality of it all and the danger certain parts of the world using a perfectly good system that's supposed to be helping and saving people to actually sneak in and kill people. So let's lay that part of it aside. Let's talk about the innocent refugee victims, okay? And I got a picture of the, the folks in Defar, all right? Here's what the word uh, foreigner and alien, spiritually speaking, kind of feels like. This is what he's saying. You're displaced before you know Christ. You have no rights. The land that these folks are in, they're in Chad now, but they're not from Chad. They got chased out of where they're from, the far, right? So they're in a place. It's not their place. It's not their language. Their friends and family, half of them are gone. They're displaced. They don't have a place to live. They don't have a way to work. And if somebody doesn't come by with a bowl of some slop, and some clean water, they're goners. They're going to die in the hot African sun because they're foreigners, they're aliens. They're people who don't belong anywhere. They don't belong in Defar. They don't belong in Chad. They don't belong. That's the feeling. He says, that's you. You were in a squalor somewhere just like wandering and around, even if it was a mansion, spiritually speaking. You didn't have a place. You didn't belong. You weren't connected, and that's what he's saying. Now he's going to use three. Thank you for that. He uses three analogies right here, really quick, about the status change. And he's going to call it, you've been now made citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's family, and a part of God's temple. There are two of those illustrations that don't uh, aren't easy to understand, for me anyway. One of them is God's kingdom. What in the world does that mean? I remember when I first got saved, it was like, well, welcome to God's kingdom. And I was like, well, where is it? Or what? I, I don't get it. It's so Christianese, God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. Well, do you know the Japanese translate kingdom with their normal word for country, kuni? So Kami-sama kami no kuni, God's country, right? So here, here's how I think of it. When you walk through that door of Jesus, who says, he, I'm the door, you walk into, really, heaven, into a spiritual realm that's called the heavenlies. I mean, in fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, for you, are, but our citizenship is in heaven, so it's there now. We're dual citizens. We live here on the earth in Santa Rosa, right? Or wherever your citizenship is from. But in some odd mystical way, we have, through Christ, entered 
this world where there are angels and thrones and we can't see it, but we're in his kingdom under his care. And what he's saying, he's using a political word there when he says citizens. He's saying you have a dignified legal right as a citizen. All right, so what he's saying is before you lived in the tent, you had no country of your own, you didn't even know where you were from, all of that terrible thing. He says, now you got papers, and not just any papers, papers with the gold seal from the king of the universe is on there. Uh, you know, I used to, uh, well, I've traveled a lot, right? I'm going to take a trip again, I told you, in uh, a couple months to India. I tried saying no. Did I already tell you this? I said no twice, and the Lord said, I think you meant yes. So, <laughs> but I've been everywhere. I've been a lot of places, countries and countries and countries. And whenever I pull this thing out, I get people's attention. Oh, I get what I need. I get, for, I get called, oh, you, to the front of the line, over here. Now, what were you saying over there before we saw that? Oh, yeah, in airports, on airplanes, uh, in lines in marketplaces, in embassies. I've had all kinds of issues. And as soon as that comes out, it's like everybody pays attention. Very, very nice. Now, Paul's saying, you got way better than that. You got a birth certificate that says God is your father. And you have expressed privileges as a citizen of his kingdom. And now how that looks here and plays out here, uh, look at Paul's life. It was upside down half of the time, right? So we, it doesn't mean we walk around with our heads up high and, you know, ordering people around. You know, actually, in a godly way, that will come later. <laughs> but now we walk as Christ lived in a world that doesn't honor his papers. The second thing that he has, he says, you've got some citizenship rights of protection, provision, resources, and assistance now. But he wants to bring it home, and he says, your members, thank you for that. We can go back to the verse. Thank you. He says, you're, 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 you're members of God's family. Sometimes I don't like it when we talk about stuff that we all know. Yeah, I'm a child of God. Big deal. Move on, right? Oh, back up. <laughs> the God, the eternal one, who spoke, made the universe. You get to call him God. Paul says this in Romans 8, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Here's what he's saying. You get to call God Abba, which means Papa. Okay, so you get to say, Papa, God. Think about that. Think about having a friend in a high place. That's a high place. Heaven is a high place. And it's not just a friend. It's a father. He's a father. I was telling first service, I was working. I was 20 years old. You can't blame me for this. Uh, <laughs> I was newly saved, so I was all, uh, you know, excited and act, telling everybody about Jesus, which sort of I do still. And... Uh, I'm in the back washing the dishes, and two busboys are bragging, having a brag fest about who they know, who they're related to, and, you know, oh, I'm related to this guy. He's, oh, yeah, I'll tell you what. You think that's something I'm related to? And, you know, they're all doing this back and forth, and somebody else chiming in. I just got tired of it. So I put down my dish, and I walked over, and I said, hey, sun, moon, and stars? And they go, yeah. I go, my dad made them. <laughs> I walked away so I didn't have to get the, okay. <laughs> I'm going to suggest something to you. If it is true that you 
have God as your father and you're the apple of his eye because you're his daughter of God. Do you have any problems? You, you're going to tell me some problems you have? I, I mean, if you think about it, yes, I know, we all have problems. I heard you thinking it. <laughs> but what, what does Paul say rhetorically? He says, if God be for us, who could be against us? Well, I could make a list. <laughs> and so could you, right? But Paul's point is, wait a second, back up. We know the list of who's for, for or against you. But does it matter if God is for you? If God looks down and says, my son, my daughter. Sheesh. Chew on that one. Amen? <laughs> Chew on that one. That's a beautiful thing. And so, what did Jesus say? I love this. Check this out. Uh, his mom and brothers come to see him in Mark chapter 3. And they knock on the door and say, oh, he's busy, he's teaching. Hey, this is his mother and we're his brothers. Now listen. And they go, we'll, we'll go find out about that. So they go in and they get in, get through the crowd. Hey, master, uh, someone's claiming to be your mom and your brothers are outside. And Jesus says, who are my mother? Who's my mother and who are my brothers? Here are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. For anyone who does the will of God is my mother, my, my, my brother, my sister. And then, to be fair, he did get up and go to see what was going on. <laughs> right? However, look at that. Come on, you guys, you're in the... This is what he's saying. You come home. You're not in the tent looking for some gruel. You're at the king's table, and, and who's at the king? Who's, who's the king? He's your dad. And then he uses the third one, which is the most uh, difficult of all for Western ethnos to understand. He says, you're the temple. Let me put it to you this way. He's saying, you're like the cathedral, all right? What does he mean by that? Well, in Ephesus, they've got the, the seventh wonder of the world, which was the temple to pagan goddess Artemis. And everybody's all excited. Oh, that's where Artemis is, right? And then they have the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, where Yahweh manifests himself. Even though Yahweh has said, hey, the heavens can't fill me, uh, I, I, and heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool, what's the kind of house you're going to make for me? So... He knows, God is saying, it's not about the building, right? So what Paul is saying is, is that the temple was a picture of God's ultimate goal, not to dwell in a building made but hands, but in people's hearts. And that, in fact, we are the temple of this Holy Spirit. And that when we gather together in a place like this, he says, you are forming the most beautiful cathedral in which I manifest myself and people who come looking for answers, that's why they would go to the temple. They look for answers, they want to worship God, they want to hear his word. We form that. We are the church, we are the building. But here, here's the cool thing. He says, you were far off who weren't allowed in the temple. There was a wall of separation in the temple for the goy. The ethnos couldn't come in. Here's your wall, right? And so that wall was destroyed and, and broken down. And he says, not only were you not allowed in, but guess what now? Not only are you allowed in, but you are the temple. And when you all get together, God manifests himself in your midst. In your midst. And now you carry about him. You and your body. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. Sometimes in the, uh, the days here, if somebody's not picking up the phone, uh, I will freak people out and pick up the phone and say, hey, Cabbage, have the rock. Ross speaking. Can I help you? Yo, yo, I just got a question. Where's the church? I'm like, I want to say, I don't know. They're out, you know, 
uh, working. One's pouring coffee somewhere. One's waiting tables, and 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 one is changing diapers. And right, because that is the point of the passages. You were barred from a building, and now you are the building, and He's in you. And you're the qualified pastor or priest or shepherd. You're my representative. So not only couldn't you go in, now you can not only go in, but you are it. And you're the qualified representative ambassador to minister to those people. So whether you're changing diapers and reading the word of God or the Bible story, or whether you're cutting hair and praying for the person in the chair, or delivering mail and praying over the house, or you got someone sitting in your doctor's chair and you're praying over them, or talking and sharing. He says, you've come a long way from those tents of squalor, my friend, because you're a citizen, you're a son, and you're a minister with God's dwelling inside your heart. Let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privileges that we often forget. Lord, we have spiritual amnesia. You know I have it. I mean, it's fun to remember it right now, and then we forget in a few hours. So just sear these truths in our hearts that they might be life-changing in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.